as I read the book of 2 Peter, I'm amazed it was written by an ignorant fisherman, <laughs> a fellow who didn't have formal education. He didn't go to a Bible college, probably did not go to a seminary. He was a fisherman, but boy, did the Lord anoint him and use him in a wonderful way. I'm so glad that God does it. And I tell you what, when God touches you, you can do things that are in over your head. I think about the days of creation. Day number one, let there be light. That's when salvation comes. Day number two, let's separate the waters from the waters. That's separation. Separate distance between this world and God's world. Day number three, things begin to grow. And that's a, that's a type of service and spiritual growth and soul winning. God puts a seed in all of us to make another Christian. The fruit of one Christian is another Christian. Day number, th day number four, that's when he made the sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night, the stars also. That speaks of service. And so we find salvation, separation, spiritual growth, soul winning, service. Day number five, God created the two things that human beings cannot do. That's the fish that live under the water and the birds that fly above the land. And those are things that you can do. Now, you can fly if you have an airplane or a helicopter. You can live under the water if you have a submarine or you have scuba gear. But only if you have help can you do that. And I think many Christians, as they make their progress in the Christian life, they come to places where they cannot do what they need to do for God unless he helps them. And uh, I, I'm amazed when I read the book of Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and I evaluate what a hard head he was whenever, whenever he was with Jesus. And even after the resurrection of Christ, he said, I'm going to go back to doing what I did before I came to know Christ. I'm going to go fishing. And God had to bring him back and patiently loved him and ask him the love question, lovest thou me more than these? And, uh, oh, it's a good thing for us to, to know that God can touch your life and use us. And he used Peter. Now he's an old man, and he's challenging people. He challenged them to put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ, in the power of Jesus Christ, and the promises of Jesus Christ. He tells them, he said, now you've got a new divine nature. And, boy, your nature determines several things. It determines um, your appetite. You know, dogs like meat. You know, giraffes like um, hay and leaves. Your nature kind of determines what you like to eat. Frogs like insects and lizards like insects. And whatever you are, you have a nature, you have an appetite. And boy, when we have a divine nature, we ought to want the things of God. Nature, our, our nature, it determines our behavior. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Our behavior should be different. Dogs, they bark like dogs. Sheep, yeah, like, like sheep. Pigs grunt like pigs. It's their, 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 their nature determines their behavior. It determines their environment. You know, people they, and their associations, where they want to be. It always bothers me when Christians who say they're believers are more comfortable with an unsaved world. They're more comfortable with a cocktail glass in their, in their hand than they are with a Bible. It's just strange to me, because nature should determine your appetite, should determine your behavior, your associations, and your environment. I don't know about you, but I want to be a Christian that is very comfortable with other Christians. I want to be, I want to be uncomfortable in this world and longing for the world to come. Set my affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And Peter is telling them, he's getting right in their craw and telling them, hey, look up in here now. Put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, in the power of Jesus Christ, his promises, 
exercise that divine nature that you have in you. And then he tells them, you got to grow. But to grow, you must give diligence. You got to work. You got to add to your faith, virtue. To virtue, knowledge. And boy, he just tells them, he said, listen, these are things. Now, the, the Holy Spirit of God saves us. He's the one who helps us grow. But there has to be a yieldedness on our part. And there has to be some work. You don't grow if you don't, if you don't do the work of reading your Bible. You don't work. You don't grow if you don't do the work of giving and soul winning. You don't win people to Christ. You'll listen to people tell them how they won someone to Christ. And one thing I found in common, every one of the people they won to Christ, they went to see them. Very few came and knocked on their door and said, what must I do to be saved? You know what it is to win people to Christ? It's work. <laughs> to know the word of God, it's work. To pray, prayer is labor. It's a work. You put the work in, your spirits are going to grow. And the byproduct of growth, when we grow, Peter tells them in verses 8, 9, and 10, when you grow, you're not going to be unfruitful. You're going to be fruitful. I don't know about you, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to be barren. I want to be productive. He says, if you'll grow in grace and you'll grow in these things, he keeps referencing these things, these things, these seven attributes of virtue, all the way to love and all five of them in between. He said, when you begin to grow, there's three things going to happen. Number one, you'll be fruitful. Number two, you'll be a visionary. You'll be able to see afar off. So many Christians can't see their nose in front of their face. Because they don't acknowledge the Lord. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. What will he do? He directs our path. And we, he, he, we give us vision. So when we learn to grow, we get, uh, we get fruitfulness, we get vision, and lastly, we will not fall. That means we get stability. I was talking to a man today, and he said, oh, I love my dear wife, but she's got a, she's got a physical challenge that causes her to be unsteady, and she's fallen. I've taken her to the emergency room for cuts here and here and here of her eye, and she's fallen multiple times, and it's so sad. Well, you know, I don't want, I don't want to have those uh, spiritual falls. And if I'll keep growing, I'll have fruitfulness, and you will too. We'll have vision. We'll be able to see things as they are. And then we'll certainly have the opportunity to not fall, to have stability in a Christian life. Now, the Apostle Peter turns the corner, if you will, a little bit. And he says, look, I've got to tell you something. I want to focus on reminding you of things. You see the word remembrance there several times? Look, if you would, please, at verse number 12. Wherefore, I would not be negligent. But to put you always in what? Remembrance. Remembrance of our responsibilities. Verse number 13. Yea, I think it meet. He goes, I, I don't want to be lazy to remind you. And now he's going to talk about not only the Christian experience, but divine revelation. He said, I want to remind you of some things. Yeah, I think it meet. He says, it's only right. It's, it's, my, it's my responsibility. As long as I'm in this tabernacle, as I'm alive, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Look at verse number 15. Moreover, I will endeavor, I'll work at this, that ye might be able after my decease, after I'm dead and gone, to have these things always in. The apostle, the apostle Peter here, it says, you know what, I, I want to go from a Christian experience I've taught you about so that you can be fruitful and have vision and you can be stable to talk to you about divine revelation remind you about the value of the word of God. And he tells him he's going to, he's going to give him the, he's going to talk to him about the Bible. He said, but I got to remind you of some things. I'm going to remind you because I'm getting ready to die. So that when after I'm dead, you'll still remember those things. 
You know, much of preaching, Sunday school teaching, is reminding people of what God said. How many know that we should live pure? Yeah. How many are helped when we're reminded about that? Yeah. How many know we should give? But how many are helped when we're reminded, hey, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going? Yeah. So much of life is reminding it. Preaching is reminding. Someone said, never be afraid to state the obvious. It's the obvious that most of us have forgotten. One of the things I enjoyed about seeing Brother Barliament this week in Grand Junction, Colorado, is that he was a man. 20 years ago, he started this thing. Now they have a beautiful building. They have a beautiful group of people, just as friendly and as nice. Most of which have been saved right there in that ministry. I mean, you've seen the choir, and you've got, you got uh, people in tattoos and, and uh, people who had, had lives that were different than what they have. Boy, just, you could just see that the Christ has, has changed them. It's a beautiful testimony. But I said to him as I got out of the car and went to the airport, I said, Brother Barliament, thank you for not getting bored with the basics. Thank you for not being bored with the base, not just looking for new ways. Just keep doing the right thing the right way for the right reason for a long time. You know, thank God for Sunday school teachers and bus workers. Thank God for people in our church who, who haven't just stopped and watched the world go by. They're still engaged. Maybe they can't do what they used to do with the energy, but they're still doing it. It was beautiful to see Brother, uh, Brother and Mrs. Palmer. They have a group. Of, they started a Chinese morning service. And, and Brother, someone sent me a text and said, Pastor, you'd be so impressed of how this service went. It was beautiful to see. There wasn't too many Chinese people. I think maybe less than 10. The boys seeing him preach in Chinese and seeing their hearts learn and grow. And then in addition to that, they're working in a division leader in the south side of, south side of Chicago and trying to help people there. And, and see some people, they, maybe you can't do all that with energy, but oh, we ought to do what we can with urgency. And he says, look, I want to remind you. I want to remind you because it's just, it's the, I don't want to be negligent. I don't want to, be, I don't want to miss my opportunity. I'm going to remind you because it's just right. And number two, as long as I'm in my body and I'm getting ready to leave my body, and he'll tell him the next verse. He says, just like Jesus told me, he said, when you're old, you're not going to decide how you're going to die. Someone else is going to decide that for you. You can choose what you're going to do now, but when you're old, you're going to die at the hands of another, just like Jesus did, and that's exactly what happened. Let's look at the rest of the passage if we can. Verse number four, 16. By the way, moms and dads, don't be afraid to keep repeating the obvious. Keep talking about the Lord. Keep talking about the, the blessings of God. Keep on, keep on teaching them. Keep asking them, do you have your tithe and offering ready? I see you made some money. Are you ready to get to the Lord today? Did you read the scriptures this morning? Have you read it tonight? Let's read it together. Keep on talking about the, the basics. Are you right with the Lord? See, boy, well, sometimes the kids get a little squirrely when you talk to them. That. Just keep asking them. You can't, you can't make them do what's right, but you can keep provoking them. Remember this, accusations harden the will, questions soften the conscience. And as you're working with people, learning to ask them questions, how are you doing? Rather than, you never read your Bible. I never see you read your Bible. You know, that's an accusation. They'll put a big wall up there. But if you ask them a question, oftentimes you can soften their will, and those things are things that penetrate the hearts of people. Uh, of course, Peter is challenged here, and he says that, that in verse number 16, so if we have not followed cunning, devised fables, stories, made-up stories, we made known unto you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He's going to remind him, he says, listen, we have uh, had an unbelievable experience. He says, I haven't just told you some kind of little story that I thought up when I was in fourth grade. He said, I was there when I saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And then I heard the voice of God from heaven telling us that this is his son and he's very pleased with him. We heard his voice. We saw what happened on that mountain. He said, I'm not telling you stories I just made up. These are real things. But he said, you know what? I've got something even more. That You have something that I don't have. You're going to have a more sure word of prophecy. And what he's going to say is the word of God trumps experiences. You know, many people you'll meet, if you go soul winning, you'll meet people who will say, well, you know, I had this experience one time, and I was going to die, and then this came, or I saw this thing, or I saw my grandma, or I saw this, or, you know, they'll, they'll take up something, or I saw, uh, they'll give some experience, or one time when they spoke in tongues, or something of that nature. But he says, look, I got experience on experience. I heard the actual voice of God. But he said, but now we have the word of God. And he's going to say about it, number one, the word of God is sure. Number two, it's a light. It's shining. Number three, it's spirit-filled. It was given to us by God's spirit. And tonight, as we, as we conclude this chapter, let's talk a little bit about the scriptures. Let's look at what the Bible says there. He says, that if we can please, verse number 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that ye do what? Take heed. What do you think that means? Just listen. Obey. It means take heed, listen, and apply it. Many of us are information fat, but we're application skinny. We know all kinds of stuff. We've heard things, but we just don't do it. He said, don't just, don't just listen. He said, you've got a real word of God. You've got the word of God for you. Take heed. And then he says here, the next verse, he said, or verse number um, 19, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto a day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Until we see Jesus, and of course the word of God is eternal, but the Bible tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our, and a light unto our, okay, so it's kind of helping me know what to do today, and it helps me give vision for tomorrow, a direction. And we find the word of God, first of all, it, you can, it can be counted on. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. Our warrant should be the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. Trust the word of God. Love it. Believe it's sure. Number two, let it be your light. You ever, you ever fumble through a dark room, hurt yourself, break your toe, look down at your foot and your toe's going this direction, the rest of your toes are that way? Miserable. You ever bump into something, you think you had a bruise on your thigh for like three weeks after that? It's because you couldn't see. You know, God doesn't want us to bump into things. He wants us to have his word to lighten our path. Today I was working, in, uh, and I'm sure our men were doing the same thing, trying to figure out a few things about what God wants for our ministry and what we need to do about some things. And, and I was just going to the scriptures saying, God, give me some words from your, from your truth. What do you want done? What would you do if you were the pastor here? What would you decide to do? Is it an area where we need to be courageous? Is it an area where we need to be compliant? Is it an area where we need to be com, com, you know, creative? What, what would you do in this situation? Show me from your word, and I don't think I probably got all the answers I need because I probably wasn't the student I need to be. But one thing I know about the Bible, it's sure. You can trust it. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. 
And boy, a right relationship with the Bible, it contains how God thinks. It tells us how it feels about stuff, what he wants us to do. It inspires us. It, it generates faith. Uh, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It gives us faith. It also gives us direction. It keeps us from sin. Lots of things the scripture does. It's sure. Number two, it's a light. It's a shine. It shines our, our pathway. The Bible says the, in, in Psalms 119, the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. If you are a Bible reader, a Bible meditator, a Bible memorizer, one thing you're going to have is a clearer view of what's going on. People who do not have the word of God deep in their soul and making it a friend are easily deceived. They're easily deceived. I don't want to be in that group. I don't want you to be in that group. Peter says, listen, you got a sure word of prophecy. you got a shining word of prophecy. And you have a word of God that was given to us uh, by Holy Spirit. Let's look at that real quickly. The last verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. No one has a monopoly on it. And you can't. It, for the most part, the Bible means one thing, but it has multiple applications. And boy, I tell you, whenever you're teaching the Bible, if you want to do something a little bit cute and make something cute, but at least, if, you know, and try to make an application, make sure you say what it says in context. Don't take something out of context because it becomes pretext. <laughs> it becomes false. And I think there's many applications. You can take lots of stories of the Bible and apply a biblical truth but always give it in its context. It's most powerful that way. When you try to change things and make, try to say what you want to say and just find a verse that goes with it, I think you're going to find yourself a little squirrely in your mind and you're going to hurt other people. Make sure you say things within context here. He said, no one has a private interpretation. God's given the, God's given the truth. But, he said, it has multiple applications, but let's look and see what God says in verse 21. If you don't have verse 21 underlined in your Bible, it's a verse you need to underline. It's a great verse. And uh, when people say to you, ah, oh, you know, the Bible was just written by a bunch of men. This is a great verse to explain. The prophecy came not, would you read it with me? The prophecy came not in old time. Okay, the Bible says the word of God did not come in old time because a fellow said, you know, I think I'm going to write some of the Bible today. No, he said, they didn't. no man just thought of the Bible. The Bible is given to us over 1,600 years from the time that the first words are written by Job, who is the oldest chronological Bible uh, book in our Bible, to the book of the Revelation. Anywhere from 15 to 1,600 years, 40 different individuals, from a farmer like Amos to a doctor like Luke to a scribe like Ezra to a, a boy that was raised in the palace and spent 40 years as a shepherd like Moses to John, a young teenage boy when he met Jesus Christ and a fisherman boiled in oil, uh, tormented, left, for, left to be exiled. All the guys in between, 40 different people. You know, if all of us just said, give me your opinion on red lobster, what do you think? Do you think we'd agree on that? Some of you say, boy, I love the cheese bread. Oh, it's awesome. Other people said, no, nah, it's way too salty. Are you kidding me? We couldn't even get the right opinion on McDonald's. 
or, or, or one restaurant, if you've all been there, we, we'd have all kinds. Could you imagine people writing one book on their own, four different men coming up with the same without contradictions? You don't find that. You know why there's not a contradiction? Because you have one author. It is God's word. He said, it didn't come in old time because a man sat down and said, yeah, I think I'm going to write some of the Bible. No, they were holy men. Let's just talk about that. What does holy mean? Well, the Bible says the Bible is what? It's a holy Bible. What, it, what does that mean? It belongs to God. The Spirit of God. It's called the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's God's. Why do we tithe? Because the tithe is holy. That means it belongs to God. You just honest people give back to the person that it belongs to. You tithe because it's holy. You're saved. You're a saint. Okay, you don't have to find other saints. You are a saint if you're truly saved. And you became a saint the moment you got saved because now you belong to Jesus. I love that song, Now I Belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Once I got saved, I became a saint. That means I am a holy one. I belong to God. He belongs to me. But also I would say to you, these men were holy men. Uh, they were men who belonged to God. You can see it in 1 Peter chapter 3 when the Bible talks about wives learning to have a meek and a quiet spirit, even in spite of some decisions that maybe husband makes that's not the best decision. He's a hardhead. He's not listening to God's word. Hey, you can, uh, you can. God can work in his heart through your testimony, your conversation. And he referenced, he referenced um, Sarah and he said, holy women, girls who belong to God. They trust in the Lord, and they reverence their, hus their husbands. They, 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 they honored and subjected to their husbands, and, and they, they weren't unafraid with any amazement. They didn't let fear, they let their faith conquer their fear rather than their fear conquer their faith. They're holy women. They belong to God. And here we find, how was the Bible written? Not in old time by men who just wanted to do it. No, but they were holy men who were moved by whom? Today I use my pen, not this pen. Someone gave me that one, but I didn't use that. But I use this pen throughout the day today. When I came to the office this morning, I've been writing and writing, doing correspondence, writing notes to myself, writing on a calendar, doing things. I've written many things with the ink that's in this pen. I've written some notes that people are going to receive later, and I'm sending them in the mail. Ms. Jean took them and sent them in the mail for me. And when they get that letter, they're not going to say, now, hey, that pen wrote me a good note. No, they're not going to say that, that pen. They don't even know what pen I used. They're going to see that my name is on the bottom of that thing. And they're going to say, that, that, that note, Pastor Wilkerson wrote me a note. But you know what the pen did? It responded as I moved it on the, book, on the paper. And the Bible says the holy men of God, they spake as they were moved. I didn't write any cuss words because that's not what I wanted to say. Um, I, wrote, I wrote what I wanted to say, what I wanted to say to encourage and help them. And this pen, all it became was a simple instrument that was moved by me. You know what? That's how you got the Bible. The Bible says it didn't come in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were by whom. So the Bible is a sure word. It's a shining word, and it's a spirit moved word, and we can trust it.